Welcome to The Positivity Effect, where paying it forward and doing something positive in someone's life can provide them with the confidence and motivation to do the same for someone else. Like a stone dropped into a lake, let's create a ripple effect of positivity throughout our world. And it begins with your host, Dr. Thomas Retcher. Hey, what's going on, guys? Dr. Tom here, and you're listening to The Positivity Effect, episode number 129, Courage of Unsung Heroes. If you've gotten something out of this podcast, please share this information with a friend. I don't charge anything for this show, and it's not my day job, but I'm here because I want to make a difference in people's lives. And if this information has impacted you, please help be that ripple effect in the lives of people that are close to you. We don't have to make a difference uh, across the world or uh, on some big, grand, global uh, scheme, but we can definitely help the people that are closest to us, and that's where it starts. So thank you guys so much for doing that. Back on episode 123 and 124, I had on a close friend, Rich Rotans, and I wanted to repurpose the second episode today so if, if you've listened to that episode already, this is going to be a repeat, but it was just so impactful for me that I want to share it again today. Rich Rotans is an emergency manager, safety, and fire science professional with 40 years of experience in public policy, safety and mitigation, emergency management, fire protection, rescue tactics, hazardous materials incidents, and planning and research for all natural, civil, and technological hazards, including acts of terrorism. Rich was the deputy commissioner of New York City during the tragic events of September 11th. And he shared just a very powerful and moving story and a very humble uh, take on the story. He was just an incredible individual. And his story reminds us to be courageous every single day in our lives. Yes, the events that Rich was a part of uh, during 9-11, it, that's a, it was a very massive, tragic event. And it's not always going to be things like that that we have to be courageous for. But I hope that you guys take some themes from Rich and, and apply these to your everyday lives because we can be courageous on, on a, every single day basis. Uh, when, we, when we do something for someone, uh, when, every other, when every other person uh, turns their back or, or looks away, but we're the one that's there to, to help or pick someone up or lift them up uh, to whatever that they are, they are needing help for. And we, we have that power in us to be that, to be that impact and to be that ripple effect in other people's lives. So I'm just honored to share Rich's story again. It's very moving and I know that it's going to be impactful for you. And if you've heard it already, I encourage to listen again. I know you'll definitely pick up some more nuggets this time around. So help me welcome back to the Positivity Effect, Rich Rotans. Hey, what's going on, Rich? Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, good morning. And uh, just want to kick it off. If anybody that's listening right now, if you guys missed 
the show on Tuesday, I encourage you to actually go back and listen to that one first um, because it's it's really going to be powerful and really make this show that much more powerful to hear not just Rich's backstory, but the way in which he speaks also, um, very importantly, the language he uses. Uh, we talk about values, talking about courage, talking about honor, talking about focusing on on family values, all these things, and, and it really ties together nicely towards the end. So very powerful episode, and yeah, we're going to kick it off today, and the topic of today is we're going to talk about maintaining a level of coolness or calmness and also having courage amidst a, a crisis. And and Rich has had a long decorated career and has been many times there's a lot, a lot of like there's a lot of ups there's a lot of downs and he, and he explains that in in the episode on Tuesday so rich i'd love for you yeah just to take it away and and we'll go from there all right tom uh, how do i start uh like like mentioned before my career stems over 40 years in the emergency services whether it's nursing a fire or uh emergency management but i i uh I, I grew up in a police department family where my father was a cop and, uh, you know, a lot of people in the military. So we, I always already had that incentive, uh, take it on a challenge, mm-hmm. but you don't have to have that background to do that. You have to have just the insight that something goes wrong, whether you're at home or at work or you're in travel, just be focused on what to do. Let me start with this. Uh, as a young guy at the age of 15, my, uh, my father was in a, uh, a sort of a gun battle in South Jamaica, got hit in the chest for a two by six and had heart complications for the last few months. Until one day he collapsed in front of us and, uh, knowing about, about CPR wasn't really well known back in 1968. I had, I went right to it, tried my best to do that. I was focused on saving my father, which to no avail, he died. Moving forward, you know, you have, uh, issues at home, you know, just, it could be a pipe break. What to do? A lot of people don't know where to turn the water off. I teach this to all my kids. And all my kids will always say, I'll say, Dad, we'll keep it up. You know, keep it, the groceries away from the stove. We'll make sure that we don't plug 15 plugs into the outlet. And my kids go from 14 years of age to 40 years of age. And uh, over the years, they start to realize that how important it is to just be focused. And if you have... Uh, if you smoke gas, get out of the house. If you had the house down the block, then blew up all across the street because of the gas leak. Little issues like that. If you're in a car accident, stay focused. I have you okay, seatbelts on, whatever. But when you go into a career, and uh, like with the fire service and nursing, you, uh, you deal with this all the time. But what I could convey to people is that if you get into an event, such as an active shooter, or you had an explosion in the building, or there was a passive situation, you have to be aware of what's around you. I, I used to drive my wife and kids crazy. All right, guys, where's the fire escape? <laughs> uh, as simple as that is that when you had the hundred people that were killed up in uh, Rhode Island a few years back with the fire, or you had the shootings down in Orlando, how do you get out? What's your secondary means of, uh, of escaping? And if you don't have that sense of, just a sense of awareness, it could be... Uh, injurious or fatal to you and to your family members. And like, for, you know, they have so many people are on the road driving drunk and you get a flat tire. Don't just pull off the road. Go to the next town. I mean, just get off the road. But there's so many people texting and people drinking and what have you. 
And, you know, just mentioned about texting. I constantly bust chops with my uh, friends and my kids. Uh, do you know what day it is? And they hold up a hand one minute. <laughs> it drives me nuts. <laughs> the, 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 the purpose of being focused is, is very key. It, it's, it'll help you survive. And uh, let me just talk about uh, the, the fire service, for example. And we could do this with the police service and many other response agencies as well. Uh, but knowing when you're going into a burning building, you're looking at all dimensions. The fireman looks at a building and they call exposures. The front of the building is exposure one, to the left two, the rear three, the right four. And the reason why we do this is when you go into a burning building, <laughs> it's not like the movies, you're carrying a little baby or a doggy and you have fires all over the room, whatever. You don't see anything. It's pitch black, it's hot, and you have to get down. And you have to constantly know where you are at all times. Just like in the military, you have to know exactly where you are. So if you need support, you tell the support where exactly you are on the map. Same thing in the nursing. I look at the patient. What's with that patient? You do an assessment an awareness of what's wrong with the patient, especially if he or she cannot communicate, especially with the child and elderly patient. Going to a major event like the World Trade Center event, this is, you know, it's all right. It's a, what they call in emergency management also a disaster research, a focused event, meaning that highly unusual. It doesn't happen all the time. It catches you off guard. It's a surprise, and it's a lot of injuries and death and destruction involved. That uh, on that Tuesday morning, we're sitting there, coincidentally, getting prepared to do a major disaster drill of a bio attack and how fast we can give out uh, oral medication like Cipro or Doxy to people that are exposed to uh, tolerimia, glandes, or uh, smallpox, what have you. And that was going to be on Wednesday, September 12th. And sitting there talking to my counterparts, we've noticed that these, this one plane is flying over Manhattan at a low altitude. Now we're in Tower 7 facing north. I go, man, that plane is awfully low. With that, it flew overhead and we heard the explosion. And now we refocused on what we should be doing. We went into action. And the action was bred upon a lot of the training, a lot of preparedness, a lot of exercises, what have you. And this is not just, uh, we read a book that, that previous uh, afternoon and we've all set to go into action. But Anybody can just step up and do the right thing. What I mean by that is that people that day were helping other people. It was amazing on how many heroes, unsung heroes, that occurred that day. I was there mainly because of my job as a deputy commissioner of emergency management, as a detailed fire commander. And we had to, I had to go downstairs in town one and set up operations. People were helping other people out of the buildings. People were, that were in wheelchairs were brought down and carried. And people stood up to help their, their fellow office worker, fellow neighbor, fellow visitor. It was really moving because you were focused on one thing, to get out and go to uh, the refuge. The, uh, the, the situation was that now when you get down to the, uh, the plaza of the World Trade Center, you really realize that uh, the situation is more grave than you realize because of the uh, people that were uh, jumping from the tower up on the uh, 80th floor and above. And at that particular point, that was beside the fire on the upper floors was uh, very hazardous because these people jumping were hazard to people on the, on the ground. Uh, one of the first firefighters that were killed was killed by, uh, by a jumper in Tower 1. Setting up operations in Tower 1 was, 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 uh, was considered uh, critical. We uh, brought in the mayor and commissioners, what have you, and they get that set up so they could start operating the first floor of Tower 1.
while we were doing that, got set up. I had to go back with my guys and get the emergency command center set up in Tower 7. Leaving the building and going to the plaza over to Tower 7, we heard another explosion and turned around and this ball of fires coming out of Tower 2. Knowing that, you know, since it was the first plane crash that we're under attack, now we don't realize how severe it is. And that now we're focused. People are still facing the, uh, the inevitable event. People are helping to get people out. Fire, police, Secret Service, FBI, volunteers, people stood up, what can we do, how can we help? And the people were exiting the Tower 1 and Tower 2, especially uh, you know, when Tower 2 collapsed and people were still climbing over the rumble from Tower 1. People still helped, and that's key, helping the, the people survive and everybody focused. I'm glad I wasn't on that one plane that crashed into Shanksville, Pennsylvania, because those people were ultimately focused on trying to get these low lights that took over the plane. They were focused, and you know, the one fellow said, let's roll and try to get these guys. That's, that's dedication. That's courage and integrity, and I tell you, I uh, pray for those folks all the time and how they did it, and uh, God knows where this plane was going. Right. But, you know, but getting focused now, we're under attack. We had Tower 1, Tower 2. We had to evacuate all the towers, well, one, two, seven, and we were in Tower 7. We got all our people out. And very fortunately, we did that. We had uh, these folks out of there, everybody, by the quarter to 10. Because if not, we could have lost a lot of lives in Tower 7. Because when Tower 1 came down, a large part of it collapsed into uh, the Tower 7. And that could have killed a multitude of people. That's why later on in the day, Tower 7 had, uh, collapsed, I think it was like 4.30 in the afternoon. That forced us to uh, recalibrate our efforts, you know, taking shop over in uh, one police plaza, what they usually call one PP. And now uh, we had to, to create and uh, recreate the emergency uh, command center, which we were going to, uh, we did at Pier 92. And the story behind Pier 92, that was our drill site. We already had that uh, field stay ready for our major drill for the week. Oh, wow. So we set up, uh, yeah. So within 36 hours, we had to, uh, get that up and running, which we did, which is monumental. And uh, talk about being focused. Uh, that day, when I went over there on that particular Wednesday night, I told the uh, a bunch of fellas that uh, at the pier, they were all sitting around, all uh, upset because they really wanted to be part of helping people down the site. It turned out to be a whole bunch of longshoremen and uh, other union workers. And I literally got on, um, got a striking test. A soapbox. It said soap. I couldn't believe it. I got on top of this box. <laughs> I said, I said, brothers, this is the truth is. I'm deputy bishop emergency management. I need you guys, your brains, your muscles. Are you with me? And I, I, I was just making wow. it up. I was going. All right. They wow. go, ah, okay. I go, listen, to help the brothers down at the fire, the police, the, the medics, the, the military, what have you, I need you guys to help you build this ego city. I tell you, these guys and girls, they couldn't do enough here. They were focused. They were so concerned that we were going to be attacked again. And at 36 hours, Tom, we had a 160-position emergency operations center. What that means is that 160 agencies and organizations walked in that day. They had phones, they had computers, they had cameras, they had uh, cellular antennas. You name it, we had it. And uh, the place was a mess. It looked like uh, the the, uh, the old show Mesh. <laughs> but uh, and we had a few radars and a few other crazy noises. But uh, it, it really worked well, and uh, as we got moving, we started realizing the uh, the magnitude of what was happening in our city. And then uh, 
we had to get information in from all the agencies. And so by that Saturday morning, we were up and running and we were really cranking. Um, it was emotional. Uh, people that worked with me in the office first semester of time, we all lost friends, relatives. I had uh, people constantly uh, sit down with counselors. How are we doing? Uh, you need a day off, you know, you know, a glass of wine, you want to go home to wife and kids, and which is, which is key because you want people to maintain a routine. And I've been trying to this, is that uh, and we had this uh, crazy Marine uh, captain come up to me uh, from the reserves, and uh, God bless him, his name is Willard Lockridge. He goes, Commish. I go, well, no. That another commissioner on deputy goes, Oh, commission. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'd like to help you, and I'm uh, assigned to you. I go, well, Who'd you sign? That doesn't matter. I'm assigned to you. He's there, his marine uniform. He says, Okay, what can you do? I can do anything you want. And he was back, basically my chief of staff. He was phenomenal. And about a week, about two weeks later into October, he goes, Listen, uh, I'm getting married October 18th. Ah, great. That's outstanding, Bill. Uh, I want you to be my best man. I go, What? I want you to be my best man. Wow. Okay, sure. <laughs> Where's the wedding? He goes, uh, how about right here in the emergency operations center? I go, you want me to be the best man to have a wedding here in the middle of a major attack? He goes, why not? <laughs> so with that, with that, I see to my right, I see the mayor walking down in the middle of the U.S. I see his flank. And uh, I go, you're going to Hawaii? He goes, how are you? I go, doing fine. I go, the captain here is getting married next week. Oh, congratulations. And meanwhile, I said, well, I thought I have a pair, a great pair here to ask this man, but, uh, you know, he's looking for someone to preside over and he'd like to have it done here. Now, knowing what I know of the mayor, he would look at you intently and you don't know whether he's going to chop your head off or <laughs> give you a handshake. He goes, great idea. <laughs> 10 o'clock, Tuesday? Yes, sir. I goes, all right. You only got 20 minutes he told, turns to his aide, he goes, I want a horse and buggy, I want a rice pop, I want two glasses of champagne, I want bagpipes to hold me. I'm like, he went on. He, goes, he turns around to me, he goes, nobody, nobody's going to stop our way of life. That to me was so profound that yeah, they killed 3,000 people, yeah, we're going to get the stock market back for the money, and yeah, we're going to keep on going the way we normally did. And that, to that mm-hmm. Wednesday, that 18th, mm-hmm. we're having a wedding in the emergency operations center. Like, I couldn't believe it. We're in a dress blues. There's like a hundred people, a uh, hundred some people in the uniforms from all over the country in the world. We had Israelis and Mexicans and, and British and bagpipes. And he had the wow. money. I go, I can't believe it. And, it, it's, and that to me offsets the grief of watching the number of dead go get higher and higher and higher as we went right. along. Right. And, uh, you know, we didn't realize how many people were killed. We didn't realize how many firemen and cops and Port Authority and EMS people were, were gone, and uh, that that was a relief, and uh, it was it was it was moving. But now we get refocused, and we started realizing that how much problems we had. The anthrax attacks—they were hitting NBC. There were powders all over the city. We had two minor earthquakes that hit Queens into Manhattan. We heard explosions. Like, what's that all about? There were earthquakes. Then we had the uh, Hurricane Michelle come up the coast. Other than that, it was a pretty boring October. But uh, we, we, we were very busy. Then we were concerned about the amount of gold in the bank that was occurred in the World Plaza and the World Trade Center. They had to move several hundred million dollars worth of gold and silver. And we had this slurry wall, which was built to keep the water out of the Hudson River going into the World Trade Center property. That was cracked. And how much Freon tanks were exposed to fire because when it gets heated, it turns into phosphine gas. 
all it was not just one focused event about recovering the bodies and trying to get the debris out of there. We were handling very uniquely multiple issues, and it wasn't just the fire service, police, emergency management. It wasn't just the military. It was amazing how people around the city stepped up. And that was our, that's what I mentioned before in part one, is to get involved, not just sit around and watch people do their uh, bidding for you. New York waters, waterways, these people are first. Uh, waterway taxis. During the Dunkirk event of World War II, were about 300,000 uh, British, French, and Danish soldiers were rescued from the German attack. The, the uh, waterworks, the waterways, and every other ship and boat and ferry uh, you could possibly think of evacuated close to 400,000 people from Long Island. Never been succeeded since. And it's been, uh, in fact, a, a colleague of mine, Jim Kendra, uh, he's a uh, provost down in the, the Silver University at the Disaster Research Center, very, very talented guy. He wrote a book about how the, the, the water rescue occurred. And to network in uh, research, I brought in people from other academies to be by my side the entire episode of 9-11. They got there on uh, September 12th, and they just recorded, interviewed, and watched the entire event. That, to me, Tom, is also key. Yes, it happened, but let's look at someone who is a professional in research and to look at the different attributes. They looked at about the resiliency, how we got back our EOC, how we got, handled the, the anthrax attack. So this is also key. And all these ongoing research, the response from the agencies, the response from the private business like the New York Waterways, uh, people from uh, volunteers and all over walks of life. There was, we kind, of, we kind of joked about it, but at the Jacob Javits Center, we corralled people who wanted to do some work. And it was pretty close to 30,000 people that wanted to help. They lined up from Jacob Javits all the way down to the World Trade Center, which we eventually had to build a building. Everybody wanted to help. And it's not yeah. just 9 11, yeah. during hurricanes, during the snowstorms. People, a lot of people step up to really help their neighbor and also society. But at the Jacob Javits Center, you know, the, the fire police who, uh, Joke about it looked like a Grateful Dead concert. There was so many people uh, <laughs> that wanted to go kind of crazy, but they were there. They were there to help. Uh, but then going back to the emergency operations at the time, we had visitors from every walk of life, from every state leader from around the around the globe. I mean, from uh, England, Israel, uh, Russia, uh, actors and uh, spokesmen that you could possibly think of that came through our EOC. It was just it was heartwarming, and it's just that. I'm not trying to say that, how are you going to face an adversary event? It's like how close to your family and your neighbor and society, how they're going to face. It's got to be done collectively. And uh, going back to communications, everybody's got to be on the same page. All right. This is what we're going to do today, guys. And just like with the longshoremen and just like with the fire service bringing in the, uh, the rescue teams around the country, the police department bringing in all the uh, law enforcement agencies to investigate. Uh, what has happened and looking at the crime scene, very similar to the hospitals. Uh, fortunately and unfortunately, uh, the hospitals down in Manhattan were all ready to expect hundreds, if not thousands of people walking in. And unfortunately, there was very, very few survivors. Churches were involved. Uh, we had to uh, give permission to uh, this uh, contract about 15 different religious leaders that wanted to go down and say prayers and bless the site. And we uh, had to do that in a coordinated fashion. 
And then we had a bunch of uh, knucklehead people who just wanted to get down there and just gawk at what goes on. And you're always going to get that as well. You get that at car accidents, fires, and uh, the horrible scenes, but uh, we had to you know, control it as well. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's... But going in retrospect, a lot of times you just start thinking that what, you know, some of us, it's not just me, there's hundreds of thousands of people like myself throughout this country, if not the world, that step up to, uh, you know, try and make things right. I mean, look at the three guys in the train in France that took that knucklehead with the knife. They did the right thing. Yep. You know, people, people do step up no matter where you are. Like the guys at the, the 33 guys down in Chile with the, uh, the mine shaft collapse. You know, it's human nature steps that was up. incredible, yeah. It's, it's incredible. It really does. And uh, it, that's why I try to tell folks, you can do it. Don't just stand there and just, you know, cry help. Look at what can be done. What's happening? Water leak, electrical fire, fire the stove. Uh, somebody got hurt. Somebody's in the pool. Somebody breaks their arm. Keep things calm. You know, just focus on what to do and don't get crazy. Meanwhile, call the authorities. You know, dial 911, get some help. Uh, and that's basically the nutshell. And, and fortunately, Tom, my uh, my kids are following suit. So I'm uh, proud of the Marines, Army, Fire, Police, Vets, and that. <laughs> so much there, Rich. And and that la- you know, I'm, there's a few things that I want to touch on, but just that last thing that you just said is so powerful because kids follow in, in their parents' footsteps when they're. It's there's just so much pride in the family, and and they. They they see it that you you've set such a, a powerful example for them, uh, the same way that your your father your uncle set examples for you and, and other people in your family. Hearing that whole story, two two of the big key takeaways, I think you guys got multiple times is that it, it comes down to focus, and the other one is that, and I re- it was that whole story when you were describing the wedding that was really powerful, and you said that. What he said is that you can't let, amidst tragedy, it's going to be really difficult, but you can't let those events really take life away from you. You have to keep living and keep moving on. And I think that it's so powerful, especially when if, if somebody's sitting at home and something happens out in the world and they're feeding into the news and they're watching the, the, the stories about how the news just always is it's just feeding into the negative part of it and and here was this this beautiful story about this marine who was like no let's let's have this wedding let's let's keep living life and it's so important to to and and again we're we're talking right now this whole episode it's this is a very grand scale type of 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 tragedy of of hearing your story about 911 and and even on the small scale amidst maybe there's something going on in your family maybe a family member passes away or you're having, if you're a parent and you're having a difficult time getting through to a, a child and it's just, it's just tough between you and your spouse and you're trying to figure out how to deal with it. You got to keep, keep living life and, and keep, but the biggest one again, was really focused for me, Rich. And, and I think people listening would be like, but man, like how could I have that level of focus if I was in that, if I was in Rich's shoes? And I think you described it beautifully is that it, it it's the way that you've lived your life. It's, it, before 9-11, you're always making sure with, with your family, with work, you're always raising your awareness, focus. It's it's practice. It comes down to that level of practice. And as long as you're practicing and making sure you're doing those things, that's when when something arises, situations arises, 
and you, you explained it, you know, very clearly that you just step up, you just step into action and you, and you start refocusing and, and shifting your awareness to the, the situation that's happening right now. So it's very powerful. So I just want to ask you, Rich, kind of summing up everything you said, and, and we, we can hear the courage in that story, but in your words, what is your definition of courage? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough one, Tom. Courage is uh, going about and uh, facing the challenge, facing the danger, knowing that there's a higher possibility of getting hurt or killed. Just doing it. That's in uh, a lot of different ways. And also having the courage to tell someone if you really think about it in logical ways, like you're at work or your spouse or telling someone, hey, you know what? Stepping into a drug rehab. You know what? This relationship's over. But you know what, boss? I don't like what the way I've been treated or this person is treated. There's many forms of courage uh, facing a disease. I mean, some of these kids, some of these kids I mean, that, that are in uh, cancer rehabs and they're facing death because of leukemia or the cancers. That's courage. And uh, so, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, yes. I see some of these. I see some of these men and women working in, uh, you know, in soup kitchens and other volunteer organizations in some of the high crime areas. I mean, you've got to have a lot of guts to uh, face on some of these these, uh, these villains and criminals, what have you. So. Courage to make it one definition. I don't think there is one time. I think that, you know, from the extreme, taking on something that knowing that you could possibly not come out of it alive or without serious injury. And the other courage is telling someone the truth. And a lot of times the truth hurts and also the courage to face about what you're all about. Are you doing the right thing? And also the courage to change. And I personally have to do that. I have to done that uh, in my lifetime is to really re-gear refocus and uh, move on to a different course of action. And then you realize that it wasn't too bad. <laughs> uh, but right, right. again, it is. I mean, if you, if you, if you make, if you have the courage to change yourself when it's needed and to change, help change somebody else or make a difference in somebody's life, whether it's in a world trade center or, you know, in a burning building or working in ER, it's it courage takes on all forms. And I love how, when you realize that it's you just life move on and you keep going and you keep chugging along and it you're open to that idea that that you're building character in your life and good times bad times that's it's just it's it's one of the the gifts of of humanity i think is having character and 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 being to being able to share your story with the world and um that's so why I'm honored today to kind of share this, to share your story uh, with with my listeners over these last two two interviews, and I just want to end. We're going to end here, but I want to ask you one final question. Um, you kind of summed it up over these last two shows uh, in in various ways, but I always like to ask this question as kind of like a time capsule for everybody uh, that comes on for you guys, because these podcasts will be out there forever, and who knows? Once it gets out in the airwaves, it'll be floating out in the universe. So, Rich, if you were suddenly at the end of your life and you were reflecting on all that you have been through, all that you have done, created, what kind of impact would you want to be remembered for? Being a dad and a husband. Beautiful. Love it. That's excellent. That's it. It's It's all about. It's excellent. And that's what you said, you know, on Tuesday, is that everything you do you could talk about your accolades, your career, um, building a business, whatever, insert whatever accomplishment there, but it all starts at home. 
and and building those values and that strength and and uh, you've definitely uh, you know communicated that to us over these past two shows. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. And Rich, uh, thank you so much for your candidness and sharing sharing your stories. Uh, first off, that was just really powerful for me to hear that. Uh, I get a lot out of these these calls myself as well, and I, I really. Um, that, that that ripple effect that I'm always trying to create with this show, I I really believe that this is this is going to really open some eyes and open some ears and hearts uh, for people listening. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome, Tommy. Thanks. And guys, uh, in the show notes, I'm going to include a little place if you want to reach out to Rich uh, to his uh, LinkedIn profile as well as his email. And uh, yeah, if if you have any questions or if, if you want to get in touch with him, you can reach out to me as well. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this show as much as I did. Thank you so much, Rich. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Be good.